When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, and, and we know that. And I, the Lord actually brings me at times back, it's been many, many years uh, since I was born again, and He brings me back to, to times in my life before that just to remind me, I think it's really good to remember how we were, and um, I remember I was reminded this week of things going on at work where you see, you know, the flesh and people hate one another, and they'll do anything that they can to cause a problem at work or cause a problem in that person's individual life, and it's very easy for us as Christians to see that and recognize that that's the old nature. And sometimes it's not too easy to remember that we were once like that. And I remember when I was young, you know, we all have our thing that, you know, we were involved with or the way we were, our, our personality, if you want to call it that or whatever. But I remember the first time that the gospel was preached to me and it was a three-hour three hour ordeal. I sat there for three hours and just was taking in the witness of an individual. And after three hours, uh, there, was, there was four of us. After three hours of t teaching, or three hours of ministering, witnessing, whatever you want to call it, the individual said, would you all like to accept Christ as your Savior? And my response was, I have nothing against the guy. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it. But the Lord did something in my heart that night. I thought it would make no bit of difference whatsoever. Uh, I grew up Catholic. I was in the church. I went to Catholic school and all that. And I really didn't think it was going to matter praying this prayer and receiving Christ. But that night, the Lord used his word to speak to my heart, and I will never, ever forget that. And when that happened, it was the first time in my entire life that I had ever touched a Bible. I grabbed my aunt's Bible and, and tried, tried to look up a scripture, which I couldn't. I looked up the wrong scripture, and the scripture I did look up was, Are ye also yet without understanding? And I dropped it. I said, Yes, I am. And I knew it was the Lord speaking to my heart right then and there, the first hour. Wasn't he, I wasn't even saved an hour. And I've always been very thankful to the Lord for reaching my life. You know, you, you work amongst people, you have neighbors, you have even family that don't know Christ. And I, I believe that as a person gets older, responding to the gospel many times becomes harder for various reasons. And I look at some people that have hardened their heart and they ridicule and mock the gospel. They mock those who minister the gospel. And you see this in the world, of course. You see this with comedians and, and what have you. 
But I'm glad the Lord got to me when I was younger. Tremendous blessing. Now, whenever we came to Christ, we entered into a relationship, and, and we know him. Now, there is a Greek word. It's gnosko. It's the English word that we use to translate that Greek word is know, known, knoweth, uh, to know, all, all those words, and a few others. And there's also a Hebrew word that's 3045 in, in the Strong's. And it's, how many of you ever heard anybody say yada yada? That's a worldly expression that you hear once in a while. They attach a different meaning to it. But that Hebrew word also is a very broad term, just like the Greek word. And it, it means to know, it's translated to know, uh, knowing, have known, uh, throughout the Old Testament. And, and both of those words are very broad. And to get the understanding of what the word is meaning, you have to actually go to the text examine the text, and the Lord has to open your eyes to what it's saying. Now, turn to John to begin with, John chapter 8. Now, I started off with our initially receiving Christ. There is a knowing there, and that knowing is very, very limited. That is that we know him through initial salvation. You know, we have come from darkness into light. Uh, we are saved by grace through faith. It, it's a very limited knowing of the Lord. Uh, and for the most part, when we first are birthed from above, we are very ignorant of the majority of things in the Bible, related to the gospel, and related to God himself, we are in ignorance. We think that we see, and we do, you know, we hear the phrase, I saw the light, and that's true. But we know the Lord there in a very limited way. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus deals with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, in their own mind and their own thinking, they knew. But what they knew was the law. They didn't even know that correctly, but they spent their time and their energy in reading and trying to interpret the law. Now, Jesus comes onto the scene, and they think they know God. And Jesus says some things to them about, the, and this is the Greek word, gnosko, about knowing. In verse 19, and this is when the Pharisees come to him and they talk to Jesus. Then they said unto him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If ye had known me, you would have known my father also. So their idea, their thinking, or you could say their knowing, even though they thought they knew something, the Lord points out to them 
that they really don't know. Have you ever tried to point out to someone that they really don't know? And I'm not just talking about people in the world. I'm talking about Christians. Uh, they, they think they know, but yet they know in a way that is not really uh, advantageous to development. Verse 55, the same word. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. Oh, excuse me, that's verse 54. 55. Yet ye have not known him. Jesus tells them, you have not known the Father. But I know him. So it's the same Greek word. But the application there is different. They think they know. Jesus says you don't know. They think Jesus has a devil, but he's the one that knows. Very strange. So knowing is not just an individual thing per se where, you know, you in your mind formulate this, well, I know. Knowing is that the individual Christian who has been birthed from above now progresses down the road and walks with God and as they walk with him they come into this place in spirit where they know. Now that's not something that you flaunt, that's not something that you say well now I know I can look down my nose at another individual. That's not really knowing. Knowing him will produce within an individual a humble spirit and a humble walk. So that they're not too interested in uh, being lifted up or anything like that because they don't need to because they know. And in Psalm, turn to Psalm 119. Now, if I were to pass out a piece of paper here to each one of you, I was going to do this, but we don't really have time. And I were to ask each one of us here, what is the purpose of the Word of God? Well, you know, it's because so that we can know His will. What's well, true? Uh, so that we can learn about Him. Well, that's true too. Or someone might say, well, so that we can have our, our minds renewed through the Word of God. Well, that's true, too. But I want to show you something. There's two verses. And I want to show you what the Bible says is the real purpose for the Word of God. Turn to Psalm 43. I'll read Psalm 119. I'm sure that if we would talk about this a little bit, we would find out that there are many different answers for this. What's the purpose for the Word of God? And, you know, most of them or all of them would be somewhat right. It would be okay. But there is one overall purpose for the Word of God that most people, most, most Christians miss. Most Christians. And you might want to jot a couple of these things down, especially 
when we, when we uh, a couple scriptures we're going to look at in a few minutes. You might want to jot them down. This is a very familiar scripture here, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. So the psalmist here says that your word is a light unto my path. Now in Psalm 43, verse 3, Oh, send out your light. So your word is a light unto my path. Well, what's this path thing that he's talking about? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God. So the light, the leading, the path, all the purpose, the whole purpose for all of that, for the light, for the word, your word, is to lead us and bring us to God, to God, to him. Not to learn about him, not to uh, have this or that in my memory bank about the Lord, not even to know his will. That's, that's all secondary. All that's secondary. What do you want me to do in my life? What's your purpose, Lord? All that is secondary. The word of God primarily is to lead us to him. To him, the person of God or the person of Christ. That's the purpose of the word of God. Now turn to Deuteronomy. Chapter 8, when I read about the children of Israel, it's amazing to me, and it really speaks to my heart. It's amazing to me that the Israelites could be so blind concerning spiritual things, and in particular, they were so blind concerning God himself. They never got it, ever. And it speaks to me as a Christian that I can get in a place in a very short period of time where I do not see him any longer. Uh, to where the things of the Spirit are there, but I don't see them. You know, I begin to walk in the natural, and a Christian doesn't necessarily have to per se be in sin. But they can walk in a way where they are a natural Christian and they can go through certain rituals. They can go to church, they can pray, they can even read the Bible. And yet, not see and not perceive uh, what is moving in spirit. Now, of course, that has to do with growth and all that. We're not going to get into that. It just Sometimes these things take time. But still, all of us are susceptible to the darkening or the blinding of, of our spiritual eyes by the enemy or, or by the flesh. We are all susceptible to that. Now, the Israelites, 
the Lord, what was the Lord really trying to show them? You know, he takes them out of, out of Egypt. And in three days' time, they're all happy and, you know, singing and glory to God. He delivered us and, you know, now we're not under this bondage of the Egyptians any longer. And in three days' time, he leads them to the place where they have no water. What's this all about? In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the ways, the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart. And there's the word know there, by the way, again. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and also thirst, and fed you with manna which ye did not know. Well, they actually saw the physical manna, and they actually took it and they ate it. But the Lord is saying that you really didn't know. You didn't even know who really fed you. See, what was the purpose behind the leading? What was the purpose behind the test? What was the purpose behind no, no food, no water? That they would learn and to know. To know what? Which ye did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know. Now, he says this here, that man shall not live by bread alone, uh, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. But hidden in these verses, the true knowing was to know the Lord. See, to know that man shall, shall live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is to know him. And you can see this. Look in verse 11. Beware that, that you do not forget the Lord. He doesn't say that you... Um, beware that you don't forget that man does not live by very long. But he says that you would forget the Lord. See, you should, you should know that you, you have to pay attention that you don't forget him. And by the way, how do we forget him? Do you know how we forget him in the text here? We forget the Lord through our disobedience. It's quite strange. But that when we disobey, willfully disobey, the Lord says, you have forgotten me. In verse 16, let's go back to 15. Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna. Now, in both of these, these verses here, the children of Israel forgot or they did not know the who. The who here in verse 15 and the who in verse 16 was God himself. So the purpose for all these different things that they encountered in their lifetime was to be that they would come to know, 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 really know him, know him. Uh, not just 
initially, of course, that's true. That's how we move into a different place. But the Lord is interested in our knowing Him in a much deeper and fuller way than we know Him today. And that's upon the heart of God. And you can see that throughout the Bible, uh, dealing with desire, the sincere, or the unpolluted milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. There's growth, there's maturity. God's always interested in that. And where there is growth in maturity, there is, I'm talking about spiritually, in, in reality, where that thing's right. There is a knowing that, is placed within the individual Christian. And they may not even really understand at the time what that is. But over a process of time, there is something that, that occurs within that they know. They know. And it's not that they know things or they know the Bible. That's not it. It's that the Lord has led them and they have come into a knowing that is far beyond where they were when they initially knew him. Now, in John, 1 John. So, these, were, these words, um, know, gnosko in Greek, and the word know, yada in um, Hebrew. These words throughout the Bible... And those words in the text can help a person, or they will portray a certain aspect of either what God is trying to do, or a certain aspect of God that we are to move into. Uh, By the text, you'll be able to see that. Now, in 1 John... now. The Apostle John speaks to the churches. He writes to the churches. And he's writing to those who are saved. He's not writing to the world. Remember that. And some of the things he says are, if you would, you would stop and think about it, are a little strange because of what he says to the Christian. Now, in 1 John 5, verse 20, And we know that the Son of God is come, yes, we do, and hath given us an understanding. And and that word understanding refers uh, to the mind or the seat of the inner desire, the the emotion, the the, the discerning, um, the desire that, that we have. Okay, He has given us an understanding that we may know Him. And the Greek verb here that's translated, uh, we may know, is subjunctive mood, which means that it's possible. So John is saying to Christians, 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 he's saying to them that ye may know him. I thought they already knew him. That's why they were Christians. Yes. But see, the knowing there in that verse brings a different meaning of the word gnosko. It means to know him in a fuller way, to know him in a way far beyond initial salvation, to to know him 
uh, and continue to know him as you progress and develop as a Christian. And so, so that knowing there is something that is meant for every single Christian. But the, the, the thing is that it's possible, it's not a guaranteed thing that we would come into a further thing more. Now, it's quite sad to see Christians sometimes. It really is. Sometimes I, I see certain Christians and it's like, it's like, oh my goodness, it's like, it's almost like a big letdown, if you know what I'm saying in my spirit. Like, where, where are they? What's going on with them that, that they cannot follow the Lord and develop and mature? And, and you see them act in a way that you say, the people, some of the people in the world, believe it or not, they can discern better than some Christians, believe it or not. And they, they'll say, you know, look at how that person lives. You know, this, this, they know that that's not right. People in the church, they, you know, gloss over that instead of saying, hey, listen, you need to straighten your life out. You need to walk with the Lord. You need to straighten up and fly, and fly right like the old saying used to be. Now, for the Lord to bring us from this initial knowing to a further knowing of him, I want to give you three examples in the scripture of this. And I said, you might want to jot these down. But this is dealing with the poise of the heart. See, the poise of the heart is something that most people don't see. Now, now someone that is in spiritual leadership may see that in an individual. You know, but for the most part, it, it can't be discerned by church attendance. It can't be discerned by a person's biblical knowledge, uh, how much they know or how much they do as far as good works. That can't be discerned that way. See, the poise of the heart is, is an inner moving. Uh, 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 so it's the way a person is functioning in the inner man. And, and I believe that if we can do this, and I believe a lot of you have, but if we can do that and maintain that poise of our heart, that we will not be so taken back at every little thing and think that, you know, I'm not progressing in God and all this other stuff. If the poise of our heart is right, the Lord will bring us along. And he will do things in, in our lives and for us and through us, all in, in, in this, this manner that will bring us on in him. Now, in I, I'll just quote this, but let's turn to Philippians. Just wanted to give you three examples. Because if you talk about the poise uh, of your heart to many Christians, they're not having a foggy idea what you're talking about. They don't understand. Or they may. But if you do, you know, this will give you a few scriptures that you can use. Uh, the one is in Psalm 16, 8, where David says, I have set the Lord always before me. 
the word set there has different meanings, but in the, um, the Brown Drivers Briggs, I believe it was, gave one meaning is to become like. I have, I have set, I've always set you before me so that I can become like you. I like that. Because as we set him before us, he becomes the standard, see. Uh, he becomes the one that, that we look to whenever we, we fail and don't measure up. He becomes the one that we can point our heart toward and walk toward him, to him, to be brought to him. Now, in Philippians 3, you can see this by, by what Paul says. Uh, in verse 10, read this. That I may know you, or that I may know him. See, that's a poise of the heart, that I may know him. See, is that in your heart today? Is that in your heart every day as you get up and you perform your routine? Is your, is your heart all caught up in, in what you're doing? Oh, i got to blow my nose. And my mind is on that. Okay. Is that my focus? Or am I going to, i got to blow my nose, but my heart is still always poised toward him. Do I go to work, or do I get up and do the dishes, or do I put them in a dishwasher? Okay. And even though I have all these things going on, is my heart poised toward the Lord? And I believe that that is a spiritual exercise that we must do. And as we, we continue to do that, it becomes something that we don't even think about any longer, that our hearts are poised toward Him always. So when we see that scripture where it says, uh, pray without ceasing, well, that's, that's your heart. It's going out. It's constant. It's a constant thing. It's not where you have to think about it. It's just, it's just it's something that's moving there. And, and I believe that the Christian walk, the Lord wants things to be like that. Verse 14. I press toward the mark or toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So you see this again, I press toward. That, that's a poise of the heart. When Paul says these things in these verses here, he's, he's revealing something in that, and that is that his heart was poised toward the Lord all the time. Now turn to John chapter 1. I'll show you the third example. Now, you Bible teachers here from the Bible school, do any of you have a preposition chart for the Greek? Any of you? If you want one, see me, I'll give you one uh, when I finish it. <laughs> there are, I don't know how many prepositions in the Greek, maybe 10, 12, I, I don't know, but there's certain ones that are used frequently. And seeing the preposition many times is very valuable because it will show you something else in the verse. Now, in John 1, 1, we could probably all quote this verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, where's the poise of heart in that? 
Well, the poise of heart is shown through the preposition. The preposition here, I'll write this down for you. The preposition uh, is translated by the English word here with, that is the Greek word pros, and that means toward. Very simple. Now let's read it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was toward God. The word was toward Jesus, was toward God. And as I began earlier talking about knowing and about um, the purpose of the word of God, is seen here. In the beginning was the word, and the word was toward God. So he's always moving toward him. Everything. If you can keep this in your heart and remember this, that no matter what you, you see going on in the Bible, it's all pointed or moving toward him, not toward things. Remember, the children of Israel, they got all caught up with what God was doing. They, they saw the acts of God. See, that, that was their focus. Moses, he knew the ways of God, or if you go back and you look at, at the life of Moses, Moses was in the desert in, in Midian for almost 40 years. Now, at, at that time, the 40 years, he didn't see all the acts that he saw and he was going to see later on. You know, all he was, was dealing with was relationship with the Lord, you know, knowing him. So that when he gets into this thing where in Egypt now, all these miracles are being performed, he's not caught up in that. See, why doesn't that affect him like the children of Israel? See, because the children of Israel didn't have the relationship, they looked at the acts. Moses had a relationship, and the acts are no big thing because he knows him. So the point there was that the Lord tried to bring the Israelites into knowing him. That was the point behind the testing and everything, that they would start to see his ways, and his ways lead to him. But, but they missed it. Christians today focus on all, all kinds of things. One of the main things, as I, as I see it, that Christians in churches focus upon is works. Now, works are good. We know that. But works can be, in the heart of a Christian, can be a shift, a slight shift to the side to where they become foremost in the person's thinking, in their moving, uh, in, in their direction. And as I said, it's a slight deviation rather than him rather than Christ being the focus. Now, if the Lord would move in this church, let's say today, and he would come in a powerful way, and he would heal everybody here of every physical ailment, 
And if there was someone in a wheelchair, if they would get up and start running around the church, that would, that would make the tendency here for us to focus on that. But see, the miracles are never above or they are never to take preeminence over our heart seeing him. Never. And I learned that by seeing someone come out of a wheelchair years ago. And I was a young Christian. I was quite taken back. I said, wow, is this the stuff that God does? And the Lord got a hold of me not too long after that and showed me that his ways or him, he's much more valuable than his acts or what he does. And, and you can see that sometimes with Christians. Now, we know it's okay to pray. But what God gives is never as good as when he gives himself. Do you understand that? No matter what prayer he can answer for you is never to take a position in our heart above him. And we say it doesn't, and that's our testimony, but sometimes it does. So I like to pray and just say, you know, Lord, you know, whatever. I lift it before him and that's it. I don't ask for a whole lot. I really don't. I ask more for other people than myself. I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's wrong. I, I don't know. But I, I feel that the Lord knows anyway. And I'm more interested in, in him than what he can do. So the Israelites, they never really got this. Um, let's, let's go to John chapter 5. The Lord is interested in our relationship with him. He's interested in drawing you closer to him. And he will use various things. He will use answered prayer, you know, all these other things. But the point behind them, or the goal behind them, is to take us to him always, always, always. In John 5, you see this with the relationship between the Father and Jesus. You know, Jesus, when they come to him, he's always pointing to the Father. You ever notice that? My father, my father, my father, my father. He's always saying that. You know, he works, nevertheless I work. But still, the, the point is he's always pointing toward the Father. Jesus had quite a testimony, didn't he? But I don't see him ever in the Bible, come to think of it, sharing his testimony. <laughs> he's always pointing to the Father. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. That word is philios. That means he's fond of. There, there's an attachment there. Uh, philios is Philadelphia. It is the, 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 the friendship, the closeness, um, the relationship. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. 
but the point behind us, or the core, or the focus here in this verse is not all the things that he shows him or all the greater works. The beginning of the verse is what holds the meat of this verse. And that is that the Father is in this relationship with the Son. See, Knowing Him. Knowing Him. In chapter 15 of John. And this is throughout the Gospels. It's everywhere. This relationship. Now I'm laying a groundwork today for next week. We must see that relationship is to be the first thing on the list. Always. It must. If we're going to develop as Christians, the relationship must be first. If a marriage is ever to develop and to be what it is to be in God, that relationship must be before every other relationship on this plane here in the earthly realm. It must, or it will not be what it is to be. And the same holds true with spiritual development. That must be first. In chapter 15, verse 4. Now Jesus is teaching this same principles uh, to his disciples. You see this when he's talking to them all the time. You know, Jesus is in this relationship it's a filio with the Father. There's this, there's this relationship where, you know, he is the center. He's the core. And so he teaches that, or that comes, a better way to say it is that comes out through his teaching. In verse 4, if you abide in me. See, abiding is talking about relationship. There's a relationship there. The branch of, abides in the tree, there's a relationship between the both of them. It's very important. There's never any fruit if the, if the branch does not abide in the tree. We know that. So unless we abide, not in what God does, unless we abide in Him, there is not going to be the development that will bring forth the fruit the Lord is looking for. That if you abide in me and my words abide in you, well, you'll ask what you want. It doesn't really matter. It's going to be done. It's no big deal because of the relationship. You're going to be asking the right way for the right things, you know, for my will, because of, not because of your prayer, but because of the abiding or, or because of the relationship there between you and the Lord. Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, or don't let him boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, nor let the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts or glories glory in this. In what? That he understands and knows me. Me. Not that he knows the Bible. Not that he knows the things I do. Not that he knows my will. Not that he knows that I can heal. That he 
knows me, me, me. See, there's a difference. That has to take priority and preeminence in the Christian's life, or there will not be the development that the Lord wants. And I'm not talking about, you know, Christians that, that Christians can do great things for God. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the core of our relationship that brings forth the fruit that he wants. That he wants. Turn to Matthew for a second. Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says, says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. He's not talking about going to heaven. This, this kingdom of heaven means actually kingdom of God. And he's not talking about being saved here. I'll just let it at that. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does, and the word does is a uh, present participle, which, which means presently, continually doing the will of God. Not presently doing what we want, or what we think. There are Christians who may get a whim and say, well, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to Haiti, and I'm going to go down there and build homes or whatever, or I'm going to go do this over here, uh, you know, and Christians can do good works. You know that, right? And the good works will benefit those that the works are done for. But remember that God wants to work on the worker in the works. So he can't work on the worker in the works if the worker is working some other works other than the will of God. So it's necessary to know the will of God for us personally, where we are to be, and be there. Whether we agree with it or like it, there's no bearing whatsoever on anything except what we want. But he says... The person who is going to enter further into the kingdom, uh, the one who's going to develop and make progress, is going to be the one who is presently, continually doing his will. Now look. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Now, to prophesy, that's pretty good. You know, someone comes up and the Lord gives you some a word of prophecy for them to direct their life or whatever, that's pretty good. Now, that will help them. But he says, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? What did they say to Jesus? They said, Jesus, the Pharisee says, you are casting out devils through the prince of demons or the devil." And Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And what was he saying? He was saying that when you cast out a demon, you're doing it by the Lord, by what, you know, the direction of the Lord. You can't do it. In other words, you can't be on the other side and do that, basically. They're saying, now, didn't we not cast out demons in your name? And have we not done many wonderful works in your name. So there's the question mark behind each of those things that they're saying to the Lord. 
So the Lord says, then I will declare, or I'm going to respond to you now that you brought this up. I'm going to respond to those questions. I never knew you. Gnosko. Now, he's not saying that you aren't saved. See, this word, this word is, is defined by the context. He is saying to them, I believe, that I did not know you in a certain way that I should have known you. Now, I'll read a verse from 1 Corinthians 8.3. But if anyone loves God, now, let me ask you a question. What does the Bible say as far as loving God? If you love me, Jesus says. Now, that doesn't mean that you say, well, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. That means you love him. No. Jesus said, if you really love me, keep my commandments or keep the things that I say. If anyone loves God, this one is known by God. I thought God knew everybody. Well, he does know everybody, but he doesn't know, he doesn't gnosko everyone exactly the same. Some he knows in initial salvation, this is the beginning. Others he knows further on. Now, back here in Matthew, these here, according to what he is saying, have gone out and done all these great works, and he says that they were not in the will of God. And I didn't know you in that. Now, it may benefit somebody else, but it doesn't benefit you because you were not in that connection with me to know what I want you to do. So he says here, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's not in, what's the King James say? You who, uh, you who, who do iniquity. That's lawlessness. That means that the law of the Lord or the commandment of the Lord or his sayings came forth and you did not do them. You wanted to go and do what you wanted to do. Oh, I don't think I want to go and do this, Lord. I'd rather not stand up here and teach, but I'll go over here and, and uh, cast out demons and prophesy. Well, okay, I'll go over. i do that. I never knew you. I was over here. You're over there. You, you're practicing lawlessness. In other words, you are not uh, doing and, and moving in my will for you. I did not know you. Not that, not that uh, you aren't saved. You know, keep it the way it's saying it. I didn't know you. What do you mean you didn't know me? Well, see, the Lord wants to know you. He's, so I said, I said, he's interested in relationship with you, and he wants that relationship to grow ever closer to him. That's why Paul says that I might know him. That I might know him. And let me just read this verse here in, in 1 John 2, 3. And hereby uh, we know that we know him, John says, and he's talking to Christians. He says, hereby, you want to know how we really can uh, you know, find out here if we really know him? Is if we presently keep his commandments or presently keep 
what he's bringing to us to do, showing us. That's how we really get to know him. Knowing him. Knowing him. And so the Lord is interested in you and I coming into this deeper place with him where we know him in a a much different way than we did when we were first saved. And see, that will take certain things on our part that we know. We must walk with him, I'll say it that way. We must walk with him. Or we will never come in to knowing, the knowing that he wants. We'll know him in, in salvation. We'll, we'll go to heaven. But this is, this is not talking about any of that. This knowing is something that's further and deeper and fuller. And, and that should increase as we walk on with the Lord. See, our knowing him should develop and increase as we continue on. Not that we know, you know all these different spiritual principles. and I mean, they're, they're good. They help us. Not that we, we know the Bible. That, that's, that's, all that stuff is secondary to knowing him. And he's interested in us knowing him. Right?